pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. everyone and welcome to Declarations of War, Eve's longest-running podcast. This is episode 266. I am your host, NAR CEO, Alexei Card. Join my faithful co-hosts, former NAR director and current FC team manager for Eve University, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. Declarations of War, where we discuss Eve PvP and politics with a mercenary perspective. Today, being joined by some famous bounty hunters, our special guests, Eve's most dangerous bounty hunters, Please welcome the organizer of They Want You Dead bounty program, Faruzin and Divalone. Hello. Nice to be here. And Eve's number one bounty hunter since the launch of that program, the Poos Moose. Hello, everybody. So excited to have you guys here. I cannot tell you <laughs> how many requests Noir has gotten over the years for bounty hunting services. I think I agreed to do it once and never again. <laughs> It was so awful sitting around waiting for that guy to log in and having nothing else to do. Uh, and then when he does come on, go over there, park ourselves in the station, wait for him to come out to do anything. Doesn't happen. Logs off. Oh, okay. And that was our week. And I had enough after that. So I am very interested to know, Faruzin, how you've managed to essentially single-handedly revive bounty hunting as a full-time profession. And Poos, what you've been doing to thrive here? So it's a, it's a bit of a surprise to me as well. I, I never thought I'll be able to pull this off. But So as bounty hunting is a, is a really hard thing to do in Eve because of the nature of the game, right? You can create any number of characters. Death is not permanent. So so things the, the system always had problems. If the payouts are too high, then the, then the destroyed value, then people can you know, claim the bounty on themselves with an alt. If it's too low, which was the case of the system which was running until recently, then it's no incentive to actually go and hunt. So the in-game bounty hunting systems never really work. But I was always fascinated with the idea of bounty hunting. You know, the cowboy bebop fantasy is just um, yeah. Let's let's just, talk about that because I think most players are, you know, if you've been playing the game for any significant length of time, you've probably checked info on someone with a bounty but they may not be familiar with how claiming that bounty works. Bruzen, could you explain the in-game bounty system and how your service addresses those shortcomings you were talking about? Uh, yeah, sure. So the, the uh, oldest system, I think, was tied to actually killing the character, so you had to bot him and kill, kill the capsule, and then you claimed a large portion of a bounty, which, was, which anyone could put on a person and just click the person, right-click, uh, put bounty, and he could add some, some amount of ISK to his bounty pool. Of course, people exploited it, just used alts or friends to claim the bounty, uh, so that didn't work. And then then the second system that, Eve, that, that CCP introduced was uh, that you were awarded a small portion of the, of the bounty pool uh, depending on the value destroyed. So the value of the ship and the value of the capsule you killed you got maybe like 5% of the value uh, was deducted from the bounty pool and uh, given to you as a reward. So it was really a small change. It wasn't really a large amount of money to go and hunt uh, in a focused manner. It was just a small bonus you got when you killed somebody who happened to have a bounty. 
so that didn't really work. And what, what I tried to do was balance this in, in a way that the bounties, the, the payouts need to be as high as possible, but also not exploitable. Uh, so my how my system uh, works is that we have a limited number of hunters and uh, we have a wanted list with, with a list of bounties. Anyone can go and target any of the targets on the wanted list. Uh, and when he kills the target, then he gets a percentage of the destroyed value of the kill mail as a reward. And this percentage is usually below 100% for most of the ship types, uh, except uh, combat ships, which I have valued at 140% of the destroyed value, which is close to the actual value of the ship with all modules and, and, and all rigs. So if one of the hunters kills an Ishtar, he gets almost 300 million ISK in reward. But it's not excessively high, so it, it wouldn't incentivize the hunters just you know contacting the, the target and saying, oh, come on here, I'll kill you, uh, and we will split what is uh, what is over the cost of your ship. I'll I'll give you back ISK for your ship, and I'll give you a little bonus on top. So that that, that wouldn't work with this system, and also because we have a limited pool of hunters, which are basically recruited, uh, then the problem of someone creating an alt and then claiming bounty on himself is also eradicated. Mostly, yeah, there is a small chance it can still happen, but. Uh, it's not it's not such a large problem as when it, the system is just openly in the game, right? Because there there's at least some there's additional least some security spot. check. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the hunters that 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 registered so far are all pretty uh, notable and skilled PvPers. So if someone um, gets a bounty on himself and happens to have a really good PvP character, he can probably try and get him into the into the they want you dead and then kill himself. But again, the, the payout is not much more than the actual destroyed value. So it doesn't really make economical sense to try and kill yourself. You will Mostly you will actually lose more than, than you will gain from the bounty. I'm just curious about uh, you know whether the victims even know there's a bounty upon them um, until yeah, so after they're is, dead. That is, that is very interesting. And so mostly I tried to keep it secret. So their hunters are instructed, of course, to not tell the targets they are targets. But there is always, uh, when, for example, when I go and kill someone, I have, I am clearly in the corporation, they want you that. I have kind of advert in my bio for the service. So they kind of figure out, oh, maybe I have a bounty on myself. And then uh, some people are told by the client. So the, the client gives us the money and designates the target. And then he goes and tells the target, oh, I put the bounty on you. Watch out. Uh, so that sometimes happens. Of and, course. And one interesting thing that happened recently was a, a very, uh, I would say, a provocative bounty placement. So there was a recent Reddit post with some drama, and then one of the involved people came to me and put a bounty on the, one of the other other groups in that in that story. And uh, some of the hunters outright. Uh, outright uh, rejected to, to do it. They didn't want to have anything with the bounty. And we even have a mole, one of the, one of our hunters, who just took all our chat in, in like the Intel channel we have and, and send it to the target. So it's, it's very much like an uh, NPSI community. We have 50 hunters right now from all sorts of groups and, 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 and uh, areas in EVE. 
So inevitably, there will come a bounty where people will be in, in a conflict of interest. Uh, they will be friends with the target. So since just since yesterday, we, we decided that we must treat all the information in all channels as a as a potential leak. So so sometimes they will know, and mostly they will not know their targets until, and we, we never tell them. We, we never tell them, even when we kill them. Uh, so it really depends on situation and on the individual targets. It, uh, it makes it significantly easier for us to hunt them if they don't know, um, because some of our names are public on that top bounty hunters list. Um, and you can sort of discern from killboards as well who is a bounty hunter um, who's been involved in fleets and things. Um, if they see us in local, they can dock up. So if we can keep it as secret as we can, our wanted list, it makes it a lot easier for us to actually hit people. Also, from the nature of the Discord server, you can see uh, the people on the Discord server in the channels you have access to as well, right? And uh, I contemplated just removing access to all... from. Uh, removing bounty hunters from all public channels so that public when come when people come to my discord they will not see the list of all hunters but we decided to just to just go for it and and all the hunters have access to all the discord public channels so everyone can see who is a hunter in my project so hunter names are not secret and you've kind of touched upon something i wanted to ask later but it mm -hmm. feels right to ask it now and to the both of you really um You've talked about the Discord. Is there any sort of camaraderie and uh, cooperation between the bounty hunters? So that's also interesting. Uh, I never expected there to be much because, of course, if you go for a bounty with someone else, you split the reward. That's how the system works. Anyone who is a hunter uh, on a kill mail will get an equal portion of the reward. So it doesn't make much economical sense. But also I noticed that a lot of the hunters that come to my project are actually really wealthy like in terms of tens or hundreds of billions of ISK of, uh, of uh, like worth. So some of the hunters don't even do it for the ISK. Some just do it for the sake of it being interesting new PvP content. So they're developed, they're developed actually some cooperation. And we even had a fleet, uh, like a Kikimura fleet. And we went and ambushed a, a fleet of our target corporation, uh, which was quite close to a mercenary contract almost, uh, but that was not the idea of, of my system. I don't want to turn it into a mercenary uh, corporation. There has been uh, many, uh, many more of these and much, much better and more successful in this, I, I hope and believe. Uh, so yes, there is a cooperation, uh, but it was not actually the original idea. And, and again, you've touched upon something again that I was hoping mm. to ask. Um, yeah. It sounds like sometimes the bounties are against a group rather than an individual. Yes. So, so, so the bounties can be against an individual, which are very hard bounties to, 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 to do, as, as uh, Alec mentioned already. Um, and some are against corporations and some are even against alliances. Uh, for example, when I had a trial, so I had a trial run. When I first get the, the funding from us that we can also probably discuss, uh, there was a bounty on alliances, uh, and it disappeared pretty quickly. It was a it was a good source of ISK for for all the newcomer uh, bounty hunters. And that's essentially a mercenary contract at that point. You're putting out a, a target on a group like that, and yeah, Basically. everyone can come in and pick whatever they can grab. <laughs> yeah. Yes, the difference is that we are not a we are not a group we're not a corporation we don't have one ticker we don't have one 
specific goal. It's just right now it's close to 50 random people from all over the space who may or may not cooperate and go after a specific target or not. Probably as close as you could get to mercenary MPSI, really. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess you could you could call it that. Yeah, I've always thought of that. A couple of people have mentioned it. It wasn't an original idea, but I always thought it was in, an interesting one. I saw someone try to try it at a more organizational level, and it just didn't really work out well. But the system that you've developed, I think, is far more flexible, and it sounds like a great community starting to form around that concept. I, I think the flexibility and kind of the organic. Uh, natural feel to how the bounties are distributed and how the targets can be selected is, is a large, large thing in, in, in making it successful. It's, it's really freelance work at its best, I think. It's, it's really useful um, with the sort of array of targets that we get, that you can just pick one that is easiest for you. I'm not given a mercenary contact, contract and I have to move halfway across the galaxy to go and hit that for like a certain amount of months or whatever. I can check that wanted list, see that there's somebody nearby where I actually live and I can go and focus on that bounty or you know I can pick somebody who looks easy uh, move some shit ships somewhere and hit them instead um, it's a lot it's similar to a mercenary contract but it works quite a lot differently in my opinion well let's talk a little bit about what that gameplay actually looks like Boost Moose um, what was your PvP nope. background prior to getting involved in bounty hunting and what does the actual bounty hunting process look like for you once you've identified a target? Yeah, so I've been playing EVE since around 2006. I started out as a Care Bear doing high-sec mining. Um, joined Horde for a while, got bored of pressing F1. Um, so I left for a couple of years and I came back and I wanted to do some solo PvP. Um, so I just sort of floated around Faction Warfare space down uh, near Amamake for a bit. But I always was interested in the bounty hunting system. Um, it was never particularly enticing with, as Frozen explained, those small bounty payments. But I like that kind of planning play style. Um, so actually, on my own, uh, before Frozen's project was a thing, I would go and sit in a trade hub and I would pick somebody and I would do recon on that person and I would try to kill them. Um, and I got a couple of successful sort of suspect baiting on people running uh, missions and things after discerning what ships they fly, where they mission run, things like that. But when I saw Feruzin's actual proper bounty hunting system, I was like, yes, I'm getting in on this. Um, sort of play style wise, I'm a planner, I guess. I like to plan things out for a couple of days or even a week or so in advance. It's quite a slow play style. It's not like instant action. Um, but I will do reconnaissance on a target or gather intelligence on a target through open source stuff like uh, Z-Kill or, you know, following them around with an alt, things like that. And then I will try and execute that kill. So I'll pick a ship that I think is going to be successful. I'll pick a system and a time that I think is going to be successful. And I will go and try and get that kill. Um, often it doesn't go to plan. Um, you will set up a ship to specifically counter what they fly, and suddenly they'll undock something you've never seen before that's blinged out, uh, you know, blinged to the eyeballs, and you have to adapt quite quickly. So I'd say it does take quite a lot of game knowledge to be able to adapt quickly to changes. Um, but that reward once you get the kill is uh, it's very, very uh, rewarding. Like, I don't do this for the ISK, I do this for the feeling when you get that kill, the payoff kind of thing. 
how do you tell the target is online? Because a couple of years back, CCP removed functionality from the buddy list to allow you to know if someone was on unless they had you as a mutual friend. What do you use to get around that? So it's a combination of things. Um, looking at uh, Zkill, for example, and seeing what their active hours are, um, using locator agents throughout the day. I'm quite fortunate in that I get to work from home quite a lot, so I can have Eve on next to me, and every now and then I can do a locator agent ping and see when a character has moved, and I can use that to construct sort of a, uh, a time zone for them effectively. Um, and then once you pin down where they are, you can get some alts in there um, to watch local and see when they appear. Um, and this is the reconnaissance piece that I'm talking about, trying to build a pattern of life of a target before you uh, decide when it would be best to kill them. That's super cool. I'd love to know sort of roughly, you know, how what's the longest time you've spent between starting to the recon work and then executing the actual kill at the end? Um, so I have an ongoing bounty at the moment, which I'm uh, running, so I can't talk too much about it, but <laughs> it has been, I would say, probably two weeks of just straight planning, as in every day I have done something to plan this hit. Um, this, this is quite a big one. Um, normally sort of against a single character or something, it'll take maybe three to five days of just every now and then, uh, locating pinging them, uh, logging in to check where they are, things like that. That's a really huge time investment for that payout. So it, it really is more of the satisfaction of achieving the kill and, and getting that hunt or like a trip. Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, this is not viable as your main source of income, certainly, um, but it's a, a playstyle that I really love. Well, obviously, the ISK is a, a big part of it because bounty hunting, historically in EVE, hasn't really been people's professions. They haven't had reason to put in that amount of time that Boos is talking about until this program came around. Faruzan, could you talk a little bit about the funding aspect of this? I know the Oz and the Oz tank played a big role. Uh, yeah, so so I actually I was actually on a break from Eve, just just lurking Eve subreddit like everyone who quit Eve, right? And and I saw Oz's uh, advert for the first Ostang. I was like, mm, that that sounds actually interesting. I could get back into Eve, uh, doing something interesting. So one of the ideas I had was was the bounty hunting system, which was inspired by a 2017 YouTube video from Wingspan. He was talking about a rework for the bounty hunting system and he had this idea of assigning specific targets to specific hunters a very interesting video you can you can check it out um, and uh, so i pitched something similar the original concept was actually to assign an individual target to a single hunter and have him hunt the target and only that one hunter would be eligible for their work um, it was a terrible system, never worked. But I got the funding. Uh, Croda, one of the funders on the on the Ostank, uh, gave me ten billion ISK to kickstart this project. And what I what I did essentially was I allowed people uh, to post a bounty using my ISK. So I was using the ISK to um, kind of replace the real client ISK, and and that was really successful. It, it, a lot of people came into me. Uh, with targets, and and these targets then formed uh, the base of the wanted list. That and I could start to really uh, advertise to hunters. I have a working system. I have a lot of targets. You can come, and you will have something to do. 
so that's that's what started it, um, essentially. Yeah. And and how long between you know starting with the the Ovis tank isk and then actually getting a payment from an actual client? Then what was the the gap? The gap was around three weeks, I think. Wow, um, that's that's good. So after I pitched the idea, I built the first system with the assigning targets and, and all that. So the first month of the system, it actually never worked really well. The, I think we had like one kill made in that one whole month. Then hunters were, were registered. So, so after the first month, I did a large rework of the system. And uh, with the wanted list, so that now hunters could choose whatever target suited them, uh, they weren't tied to they didn't get a target assigned which was you know wrong time zone even though i tried to compensate for it it didn't work uh, so they didn't have time zone problems they didn't have uh, a high sec target while being a low sec pirate with minus 10 standing security standing i mean uh, so yeah ever since the wanted list was introduced and it was around uh, a month and a half ago i think it, it really kicked off so and, it sounds like and, giving people that sort of flexibility but also vetting who was allowed to be part of that was kind of the, the magic combination. Really. Yes. Yeah. So my, the, the original system that I, that I was thinking about with the assigning targets was very much focused into the unexploitable system uh, type of uh, space, but it was also too restrictive. So this, the system that is in place now is a balance between restricting, uh, like limiting exploitation uh, but also allowing people more freedom to to actually do the content more comfortably. I think it's important to say as well that Frozen takes feedback from all the hunters as well. Um, he he takes it really well, and uh, we've sort of rapidly improved, I'd say, the system since I joined um, from feedback from the hunters and Frozen thinking that through and applying it to rules. It is a continuous process. Yeah, we are still iterating. Oh, that's that's good though. Like you're never gonna get right first go round, but again, the flexibility and the agility that it's developing, I think, gives I you must, a huge uh, advantage there. I must admit, I almost quit a month ago after the first month when it was clear it doesn't really work. I was almost on the verge of of, of shutting it all down. Uh, but yeah, uh, the rework helped. So now, when a hunter goes onto your site and they see a bounty on the wide list. What percentage of that is um, like house isk versus client isk uh, at this point? At this point, so I, I received a total of 10 billion isk funding, which I used for all the bounties, uh, the trial bounties, but uh, a number of them already expired. So I think right now it's around 6 billion isk is still the bounty pool from the funding and around. Uh, 20 something billion isk is a client money right now. Wow, amazing. And do you see any upcoming um, opportunities to spend that isk on things other than bounties? Is there expansions of infrastructure you need, or what would come next for this program in terms of upgrading it? Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, um, the, 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 this isk is basically tied to the bounties. I I cannot really touch the ISK because the ISK, uh, the, how the system works is the client comes, uh, gives us ISK for the bounty, designates a target, then the bounty lasts for a month, and after a month, the I return all the ISK that was not spent on rewards back to the client. 
so this pool of ESC that I have from the bounty is, is not really mine. Uh, I'm just just keeping it, uh, uh, just safekeeping it basically. Uh, but well, I the ask tank ESC would be, wouldn't it? Uh, and the and the Austang, uh, the Austang is was is is continued or was used for the bounties and yeah now I have around three to four billion ESC uh, available from that and um, I'm just keeping it um, in my corp wallet right now and not really not really touching it. There is not much infrastructure we actually need. I I had uh, an idea before that the actual corporation, the in-game corporation, uh, would create a war hq maybe and we would be able to like hunters that would be interested can come and join the in-game corporation to be able to hunt high sec targets for war decks but i found out that most of the hunters that come are really established pvpers in in groups that they do not want to leave so um i'm not really planning uh any infrastructure with this project maybe other than paying someone in isk to do uh, uh, some website for me or to transfer it off the Discord and make it less manual. That is one thing that I will probably be spending ISK on if someone is willing to take ISK and do some programming for me. Yeah, removing the manual thing, anything that takes that off yeah, your yeah, shoulders is worth it. <laughs> right now, right now the system is basically spreadsheets that I that I manually, uh, so I manually go through the kills that, that Hunters post and I manually update my my bounty uh, bounty sheet basically, so it's it's not optimal. It it would be great to to transfer this whole thing off of Discord and into like a dedicated website. Unfortunately, I don't have the skills myself to do it. Uh, but there were people who who volunteered to help me with it, uh, maybe for ESC. So hopefully in the future this system uh, will go from Discord to something more automated. I'd like to talk about some of the coolest or most difficult bounties claimed. Poosmoose, I'm sure you have quite a few. Farouz, and maybe you have some highlights from around the wider bounty hunting community? Yeah. Um, I mean, so, okay, go ahead, please. Sure. Um, you might have picked the same ones as me. I don't know. Um, probably one of the biggest ones for me was our first ever um, sort of hunter collaborative fleet, which, as Frozen mentioned earlier, was a um, spider tent Kikimura fleet. Um, I FC'd that for them. Um, we had a bunch of uh, larger ships, sort of Lashaks, Praxises, and some Drekovacs um, of a target corporation, which was hitting some Pocos. So we formed, I think, five or six Kikimoras, and we went out there. And uh, we managed to get a couple of Drekovacs, a couple of stealth bombers down, I think. Got the Lashak to half hull uh, and had to bounce, unfortunately, because there was support uh, pushing us off. Um, but that one was really fun, and that sort of cemented that collaborative aspect for me as well. Um, I think, other than that, probably the one that sticks largest in my memory is the one that <laughs> actually propelled me to the top of the bounty ho- bounty board pretty quickly. Um, was I think the first gank as well for the bounty system. Um, I ganked a, uh, a T2 barge in high sec twice. Uh, the guy didn't learn his lesson. Um, and got quite a large amount of reward from that, which pushed me right up the board. And one of the more interesting bounties from the like the global perspective is, for example, a fraternity bounty, just a lion's-wide bounty. Uh, that was part of the trial where I put my ISK, uh, and someone just told, okay, uh, put a bounty on fraternity, one billion ISK. Uh, so I did that, and this bounty, of course, disappeared within 24 hours. People claimed it. 
And I think <laughs> six, six or seven kills were made within 24 hours on Fraternity. Ishtar's mostly ratting, of course. <laughs> and then, and then uh, one of the more uh, skill-intensive, I think, uh, uh, bounties was a mining... I would say, I would say skill-intensive, and now I say mining barge kill, but uh, it was a mining barge kill of a corporation that was made a target an hour ago. So in one hour, uh, a hunter immediately went and and uh, killed a mining barge worth 166 million isk. Um, he did also smoke out the middle of a fleet, which was uh, which was impressive. Yeah, he he basically went in. He he started filming a video as well. So there's a video of it where he just goes and 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 orbits a large fleet of of, of barges. There are drones flying everywhere after him, and he just manages to, to snipe this one this one target out of this fleet and then disappears. I would love to know, uh, like, what from their perspective. You, I mean, I, I imagine in my fantasy that you know it on comes and, and everyone's panicking a bit, but but everyone's a bit confused when the the one barge dies and the, and the person walks it, away. It must have been. It must have been awesome, yeah. I think that that also highlights um, the different kind of play styles that this system lets happen as well. I mean, mine is very. I, I appreciate mine makes me sound like a psychopath. We do also have people who um, just sort of do the, the traditional Nullsec Ishtar hunting roams. We've got the small fleets and um, we've got people who drop uh, black ops on top of people as well. So I think we foster quite a few different play styles. I mean, people don't usually need an excuse to uh, to find black ops targets, but I imagine, you know, looking for specific targets with black ops is even more exciting potentially. Interestingly, I also have a couple of uh, interested hunters from a corporation we have been hunting for a week, for a month now, close to a month. So uh, they found out pretty early on their targets. Uh, so we, we chatted in local chat a little bit. We always came again and hit them again. So they lost around 3 billion isk right now, um, or, or by this point. Uh, and two of them want to join us. So that is also an interesting aspect of, of, of EVE and PvP in EVE, where uh, even hostile interaction sometimes transforms into like cooperation and, and, and some common fun. Absolutely. I, I imagine you've got uh, client confidentiality, right? So if, if I pay you to, 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 um, to, to put a bounty on a target, you're not going to reveal that I paid... Um, unless I, I reveal it myself, kind of thing, right? Absolutely. The the, the client confidentiality is is number one uh, thing in this because that we will never get clients if clients uh, are not satisfied, and most of the time they do not want to reveal themselves. Uh, let's talk totals. The Poose Moose at the last update I've seen. This was mid October. You had claimed just over 1.1 billion Eskin bounties. What are you up to now? I'm currently at 1.3 billion Esk. I've had a little bit of a lull as I've been spending a lot of time planning the current hit. Um, fingers crossed when this one uh, completes, I will shoot up by another billion Esk. Um, Ooh! Yeah, the, the guy behind me uh, is catching up. Um, I think he probably needs to kill one thing uh, to, to get level with me. Um, Was that uh, Fenrir still, or I think that's Maxwell? It's Maxwell. Yeah, Maxwell. And he likes to drop Black Ops as well, so that might be quick. <laughs> mm. It might be. Yeah, 
fingers crossed he uh, he doesn't do it for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, the total the total the total bounty reward uh, right now is seven point six billion esque, given to given to seventeen hunters if I if I count correctly. That's super cool, man. I'm happy to see it. But again, interestingly, a lot of the people are not in there for the ISK. It's just an excuse. And uh, sometimes people lose ships as well. So we've had, we've had hunters, for example, during the fraternity hunt, they, they killed an Ishtar and they lost the ship, but they effectively got the ship back. So it's it's free PvP. And that's that's something that is enticing to some people. It is also really cool to just see your name at the top of that list with a number one. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. Why I, that's why I, that's why I made the list public, so so you can all be infamous bounty hunters. <laughs> Pivoting to the mercenary side of things, I want to give the fans a contract update. Our latest contract, the Defense of Oix. We talked a little bit about it in the last show. To recap everybody, Oix is a strategically important system in the Galenti-Kaldari war zone. It's in the... Well, if you look in the in-game faction warfare map, it's in the upper left-hand corner. It's kind of Pretty much west-ish, but you could say northwest to uh, just make it easier to navigate that map. It's important because it's a border system with Black Rise. It's important because it is adjacent to the Galenti staging system of Villarreal, which is where the Galenti Militia's largest alliance, Sedition, is based. If Oix falls, Villarreal becomes a frontline system, which makes it much more easy to be captured by Kaldari. And unlike Hadeles, which is the other major staging system in the other side of the war zone, Villarreal can be taken off of the front lines because it has no adjacent high-sec connection. So protecting Oix is generally pretty important for the Galenti militia. But that's tough to do because there are a lot of systems that are important to all the militia groups, and paying attention to all of them at the same time is hard. Uh, when we had first deployed to Oix, the Kaldari staging system of Nenamalia had captured, so it went over to the Galenti. Kaldari were fighting quite hard to try to get it back before it got taken off the front lines, which would take a while because it has a lot of surrounding systems to connect to. But they're all takeable. So that process was ongoing. The push to actually take Nen was pretty time and emotion intensive, isk intensive. So I think everyone involved was burned out. Kaldari, meanwhile, was trying to push back. They were pushing back in weeks, as well as trying to, um, I guess, get their get their heads sorted out in Enemalia for some kind of counterattack, which they have done and have recaptured it since. Weeks looked like they were going to capture as well until Nar deployed, and we stopped that shit. Um, it was in the high 80s, like when we. Got there is around 87% capture. We managed to keep it steadily in the 60s to 70s range for about the first two weeks of the contract. And then in week three, thanks to a little bit of help from Sedition, who are right next door, we managed to break that Kaldari defense entirely. They had been going pretty much even trades with us. We were you know, scrapping with them every day for those two weeks. And then over the course of about a weekend, we won a number of battlefields, a number of advantage-gaining objectives, and were able to plex pretty consistently because the guys that would normally counter us just weren't on for whatever reason. 
And over the course of that weekend, it dropped by, I want to say, at least 20%. Uh, once it hit that point, Caldari seemed to just throw up their hands and largely give up. There was still a lot of fighting happening, but the uh, the waves of really dedicated faction warfare complex runners that would come on in the Asian and European time zones were just not clocking those hours in anymore. So the OIC's capture percentage went really low. I don't know if we actually got it below 10%, but if we didn't, it was close. With that being what it was, we were given free reign to go more offensive into other areas of the war zone. So we pushed into the next door system of EHA a little bit, just kicking the hornet's nest a bit there. And we spent a lot of time scrapping in the nearby front lines, Nenamalia, Alsevoinen, um, Aldernet, all these surrounding systems that were hotbeds of activity and a couple huge fights in battlefields, including some battleship scraps, um, which you don't normally see in faction warfare, but things have been scaling up in terms of overall activity and the amount of ISK the Kaldari militia is willing to put on the field to fight. So that has been interesting. Um, we've had to review some of our doctrines to try to counter and keep up to pace with the changing meta of the war zone and the game in general. So one thing that we've done in this, um, in this contract is taken a look at some of our doctrines, the harbinger fleet, which we've honestly loved. It's been great to us, but it's days are done. Now we've put it out into the archive and we have replaced it with a, Cyclone Fleet Issue Doctrine. Cyclone Fleet Issue is one of the more common faction battlecruisers. You'll see it in a lot of fleets out here. However, we've put our own spin on it, of course. Um, we've overpropped them, which makes their agility suck, but really takes advantage of the ship's natural bonuses. And they're, uh, they're quite tough. So I'm very optimistic about these ships. They do... Significantly less DPS at point-blank range compared to the Harbingers, but they have a much, much greater tank and actually do more damage at some longer ranges. So uh, we're looking pretty good. This is going to be our main go-to doctrine for your faction warfare battlefields, for your faction warfare large and open plexes, possibly some structure fights. Basically, if we... If we or expect to fight stuff that's long range or as long range compared to our Omen Navy issues, but <laughs> you know, is is still quite tough. Then we're going to have to use these things. We don't want to bring Vargas. We'll bring these. Um, that's the role that it's kind of slotting into. I'm quite excited about it. We were able to stress test it once against Eve University. Thank you, Zero, for helping me arrange that. <laughs> Thank you. Didn't go great. <laughs> the, the stress was too much. Uh, apparently, eight logistics. Too much to try to fight when you have a 20-man fleet. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we kind of tried to, to figure out the numbers beforehand, right? So that we, there were no surprises. And um, it, it what surprised me was, you know, kind of how well EVE University performed in the engagement itself. Because, you know, one of the things we kind of try and account for when we 
build our numbers up for e-university fleets is that, you know, kind of 50% of your fleet members are, um, well, either on their first fleet or, um, you know, have very low SP or, or some combination of those factors, which kind of affects your overall effectiveness, uh, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but, but even so, I think, you know, the, the, um, the positioning is key in that engagement, right? I mean, I think if anybody's out of position, they're in trouble. Yeah, positioning was was key, and fleet composition was key. The FC of the Eve University fleet included a Hugin into the mix, which of course doesn't show up on DScan. So we got surprised that it was there when we landed. We're like, oh, well, I guess we can't get into web range, which we really kind of wanted to be because uh, we're fighting a Ferox fleet. Ferox's have terrible tracking, so you actually want to be quite close to them if you can help it. Uh, so that was what we would have wanted to do, but they would have been able to web and paint our primary, excuse me, their primary target in our fleet, which would have negated any advantage that we gained by getting close to them. So we had to think a bit on the fly with that. And also I would say the logistics from Eve University was doing quite well to keep their fleet up. Uh, we came very close to killing one of the basilisks. However, if the other logistics pilots weren't experienced, he was because he immediately burned out of range of our missiles. So even though we had him into, I think, low shield, if not armor at one point, he was able to pull it all back because we couldn't, we just couldn't keep applying damage to it when he managed to live through the experience. And that was the closest we came to killing any significant ships. I think we just popped dictors aside from that. Uh, there was also a wobble involved, which we did not <laughs> see coming. <laughs> The web bubble, first time I've seen it employed outside of the Alliance tournament. The thing is, um, EVE University likes to play with all the toys. Um, so, you know, you can't help it, right? I mean, it's not because of some grand strategy. It's because, you know, EVE University members are like, hey, um, some of these dictors are fitted with wobbles and some are fitted with bubbles. Which one do I load, FC? And the FC's like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Just do what you think is best. <laughs> um, the other side of this, of course, is that, yeah, okay, a lot of the fifty uh, percent of the fleet is going to be inexperienced and you know not going to broadcast and probably won't have their hardness on and won't be able to overheat and things because they don't have thermodynamic skill trained. But the other half of the fleet, well, some of those people are going to be, I don't know, veteran. Um, so you really kind of got to sort of um, choose your targets wisely. <laughs> well, that's why we we're. I was excited to do it. I figured it would be. Uh, I mean probably more numbers than we would normally go up against, but maybe a slightly less consistent pilot quality than we would go up against would kind of balance out. And I didn't necessarily expect to win. I did expect to do a little bit better than we did, but you know, re-looking at the number of logistics and the number of DPS guys that we had, maybe I shouldn't have been so optimistic, but uh, it did exactly what I wanted it to do. And we learned a lot. Um, one of the key lessons we learned was, we're still figuring out exactly how to implement it, but better ways to protect our logistics in that fleet. Um, the Logi for the Harbs was 10 men afterburner based, and they're in general quite tough, and the Harbingers were pretty close to them in effective hit points, so half the time we were fighting, people would just shoot the Harbs anyway. This time around, the Logi is definitely a much more appealing target compared to the Cyclone fleets themselves. And that change in dynamic is something that we hadn't quite accounted for. So we're looking into that ways to just tweak and iterate on the fleet. 
But the Cyclone fleet issues themselves, from what I understand of the fight, anytime they were targeted, aside from the one that we lost to warping out, just tanked like you wouldn't believe. So they're doing great. <laughs> they just need to figure out how to make their support ships as resilient. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. And I, th- I think had we known perhaps, because um, we didn't know, right? But had we known you were looking for like a battlefield kind of doctrine to, to go up against battlefields, we might have then sort of tweaked our comp that you know to, to replicate what you might face in a battlefield rather than what you might face on a contract in null for example well no i do want to use these in null that's the thing though i see because i also think they would do great in ess's being being afterburner ships yeah 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 absolutely um and generally speaking so so we've been using these omen navy issues a lot if you've been listening to the show for a while now um We've been using them on contracts and in faction warfare. They've been fabulously successful for us. The amount of mobility and damage application that they bring is just incredible. And the range is, is fabulous. But there are ships which can counter them. When we run into those ships, they cannot hold the field. It just can't be done. Now they can leave, usually. But we can't stay and fight and win. Also, if we are warping into a situation in a battlefield specifically, this comes up a lot, where we can't control the warp-in range because we're all going to land at zero. If there are tacklers at zero, well, they're screwed because one scram and it's dead in the water. It has no tank to survive that experience. So we needed something that could survive a slide-in in a faction warfare context. We needed something that could hold against long-range projection battleships and ships like the Ferox that can hit out to that 150-kilometer range but hit much harder and tank much harder than our Omen navies. The Cyclone fleet fits that bill really well. The ships that counter the Omen navy do not counter the Cyclone. The Cyclone counters them. So in terms of tools for a toolbox, I think it fits really well into the ecosystem doctrine that we've got and i i definitely don't see that being limited to faction warfare at all just you know this was a faction warfare contract so it's really all we've had the opportunity to do with them so far i have tested them in null in a much smaller scale just to make sure the concept itself was sound and it worked out really well i basically bait tanked an entire fraternity defense fleet for like five minutes (laughs) Just just getting absolutely pounded on because I was a little bit slower than the microwarp drive nano ships, so they all swarmed on me, but they couldn't actually kill me for a while. They had to kill most of the rest of the fleet before they went up killing me. So tank wise, it's great. And missile DPS wise, it's pretty respectable, especially at the range that it can operate at. Um so we're really liking these. I'm quite optimistic about them, even though that particular EVNE fight didn't go our way. It was a good learning experience. And I think the underlying thought process is sound. We'll see how it plays out in other contracts. Another uh, neat factoid about these things, they're actually smaller in volume than the Harbinger. So you can actually fit an extra frigate into your carrier dreadnought fax suitcase. Which is quite nice for us because we tend to do that a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. As a Caldari FC, would you mind specifically telling me what ships counter the CFIs? <laughs> <laughs>
You would like to know that, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'll tell you what, Poos, if you switch sides and join R, I'll tell you. Ooh. Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, could you imagine? The top bounty hunter in the top mercenary alliance? Match made in heaven. Uh, we also whipped out something else new, also for my birthday, which happened during the course of the contract. This wasn't actually in the contract area, but I don't really have a better place in the show to talk about it, so <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, I decided to invest more money than I probably should have in a fleet of Megathron Navy issues to do a birthday roam. And I was really hoping a battlefield would spawn that we could put these into and Kaldari would be nice and go, oh, there's faction battleships. We'll bring our faction ravens that we've been bringing to a couple battlefields and we'll go fight them and have a nice good old-fashioned battleship brawl. Didn't happen the day that I wanted it to happen. It wound up happening the next day, but at least it did happen. Uh, so he had some some cool Megathron action. I had spent a ton of time working on the fits for them. I bought all the BPCs with my LP. I bought all the materials and built them in the war zone. I just wanted to like kind of build it from scratch just to have it. They're not even corp ships. I'm just going to mothball them in my hangar until I feel like being reckless with money again. <laughs> but yeah, it was a good time. It was a good fight. We wound up winning. I think the... Overall, Bloodbath was not as good as it should have been because Tackle was a little bit light in our fleet in terms of composition and the few that we did have. I think they died pretty fast. Um, but we did kill quite a few ships and mostly held. I didn't lose any of my Megas, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was great. And uh, yeah, overall, like I said, pretty successful contract. 55 billion killed, 81% efficiency. This is over the entire regions of Blasted and Black Rise. We held Oiks pretty definitively during the course of the contract. We were able to apply offensive pressure because that defense was so strong, not just in EHA, which is adjacent to Oiks, but other frontline systems where we were able to successfully contend a lot of important objectives. And now we've moved back, and we're on a bit of a break for two weeks. We're splitting our time between people just chilling in the war zone and spending some time with Vaporlock in a wormhole just to kind of safari a little bit and see what the wormhole life is like. Very nice. Sarah, I've been talking a, a heck of a lot. Do you want to introduce the latest information we have on the Havoc expansion? Yes, absolutely. So we've had some videos from CCP, haven't we, uh, and some, some sort of uh, announcements around some of the detail uh, one of the things they announced, of course, was that LP transfers between uh, corporations, alliance, wherever, are now being removed. Um, not immediately, but I believe it's kind of as the patch drops, you will no longer be able to transfer LP between um, corporation within alliance. I'm not 100% sure what um, the mechanics are there, but I believe the intention is to cover off the possibility of a large group corner in the market on the new LP uh, the new ships and things. And I, I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. Uh, I think the intention there being that, you know, if LP is kind of more distributed among the player base, then the uh, people getting their hands on, on stuff is going to be um, it's more spread out. It also gives them a chance to sort of take a breather and take a step back and look at, you know, if there's any major impacts on the economy. There's a bit of speculation out there as to whether this will be one of those 
changes that never gets changed back. But, uh, you know, I've got some faith in CCP here. I think, you know, as long as things are not looking bad, they can just hopefully press a button, uh, click, tick or box, uh, you know, and just patch it and, and allow transfers to occur again. Because, you know, the controversy within the uh, sort of faction warfare community is quite significant on Reddit. I mean, people were talking about how, you know, they kind of rely on this system to be able to operate as corporations that can hand out ships. And I can really sympathize with that, you know. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the biggest Im impact in terms of your income um, when you run faction warfare is the LP, right, Alec? Yeah, that is the primary reward. So, you know, if your corporation is not able to, um, you know, operate in a sense of of being able to spend your LP as a corporation, that kind of hamstrings you to, in order to, you know, provide handouts to your corpse. I mean, I imagine, of course, you can tweak your tax rates. And I'm not going to talk a little too much about that because, you know, I don't want CCP to listen to this and make too many changes. But uh, at the end of the day, you can always, you know, make some tweaks there. Um, but it looks like members are going to have to maybe cash in their own LP initially after the patch to get some of these ships or some of their income um, going. And, that, and that's been my response to a lot of the faction warfare controversy around this, which I'll tell you is a lot louder behind the scenes and like leadership channels, even than has been put out onto Reddit. But at the end of the day, you could, if you really wanted to, put your LP tax to 100% and achieve the same effect. You just wouldn't be able to take advantage of current stockpiles, which you could transfer before the patch drops if you really wanted to. People are reading between the lines on this to try to figure out what CCP's endgame is here. I think you're right about the concern of cornering the market, particularly now that there's a Titan available through these LP exchanges. Mm. That's That has to be part of it. Uh, CCP's public explanation also has to do with being um, some, some kind of anti-botting measure, which I can actually see because currently you have a lot of what we call seagull accounts floating around in faction warfare where they will appear in faction warfare plexes or battlefields or whatever in frigates that won't contribute anything, aren't actively playing, but will there be there to receive the payout. And particularly if you haven't exceeded the number of players in that space, it will effectively double your payout. And even if you have, it will, give greater benefit to the seaguller at the expense of the players who have actually taken said objective. So this is a known pattern of behavior. It's very automatable. It's a real difficult thing for faction warfare players to deal with. It's become bad enough that folks have created neutral characters specifically to like smart bomb them and pseudo AWOX them because it's so annoying. If yeah. you did it on your main, you get kicked out of faction warfare because of the standings penalties you take. So it's very difficult for the faction warfare players to police. Um, this would definitely make it more difficult for those groups or those seagull characters to operate. They'd effectively have to be in their own corps with tax rates at 100% to do the same thing that they can currently do now. I think that raises the bar a little bit in terms of difficulty, and it also makes them easier to spot from a policing slash security team point of view. Yeah, that's the point I was going to make at the end. There, you know, if you're doing such things, it surely becomes much more easy to see from um, CCP's side of things. And I and I get that the 
if faction warfare corps derive a lot of value from being able to pool their LP. And yes, if you have a lot of LP and you can't use it and you want to donate it, conceptually, it makes sense. You should be allowed to do it. But in practice, you know, there can definitely be some downsides to having that system available. And if you really want your corp to run that way, there's nothing stopping a CEO from upping it, upping their tax rate. If you have it at 5% now, but you're relying on voluntary donations a lot to make it up, up it to 25% or 20% or whatever you feel like it needs to be. Um, Faction Warfare Alliances ran for a long time with no LP tax or donation available. So it's not like this is the end of the world for them, but obviously based on all the outrage, they've gotten very used to having this transferability and have built a lot of their in-game wealth generation engines and sort of the funding to run their operations has quickly adapted to this new system. And then at this point, they're quite reliant on it. Yeah, and I think in fairness, you know, the logistics side of being in a faction warfare can be challenging. You know, if you're in Galmil, for example, you can't really go to Jita in the character. Uh, so, you know, the fact that your alliance, your corporation could provide the things you need for you is is a big you know selling point for being in a group like that and it kind of kind of sidesteps some of those issues really i think the other thing uh, that i wanted to talk about that we we saw in the announcements was the the corp projects right now i know you know some people are not sort of satisfied enough with with how um these things are but uh yeah i mean at the end of the day there's some announcements where you know now you can have some rewards for being a, a lodgy pilot and repping certain ships in certain places perhaps final blows uh you know scanning sigs i've heard some um sort of issues around you know the the way that that can't be really managed on a on a granular level for example you know scanning sigs it would be great if you could limit it to certain types of signature or you know signatures within a certain type of space like wormholes because really if you if you run a very large corporation then i think as it stands you know anyone scanning sigs anywhere could could get that pool of reward back um you know whereas you know really you just want to kind of reward the people doing it in wormhole space for example so so yeah there's lots of things there that i was pleased about and personally i look i'm looking forward to you know putting some isk into allowing people to be rewarded for doing logi pusmus what have you heard about the lp transfer issue and you know, what do you see as potential applications for some of these new corp projects? Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm FC for quite a minor corp in Calmill, but you know, I'm in the discords. So I think everybody's quite frustrated with it. Um, it's definitely become a new. I mean, it became the new norm, right? To you know, use LP to create these handout ships, and it was pretty efficient because you could move a bunch of drakes down into the war zone to a station where there is an LP store, and then you can just transfer those over to Drake navies and it's very easy you just need the modules and you can hand them out um it's gonna be a change i guess just back to the old ways i think once it happens people will just deal with it and absorb it until ccp turns it back on i'm a bit frustrated with the way that ccp has handled it i think they could do a little bit more work in just turning off transfers for angel or garista's lp or however it uh, it works um, seeing as we got those new LP token things for the destroyers, they obviously can do some some fiddling with the LP systems. Um, basically, I think Kaldari just echoes Galente's frustration uh, with the system, um, and people are just scrambling uh, with the announcement. 
I suppose we got a decent amount of notice, uh, but scrambling to get things organized for when they turn this off. Um, on those court projects, I am especially uh, happy with the Logi one. I think the Logi one is great. We can finally actually pay Logi uh, for doing things instead of just, you know, giving them like a flat ISK donation when they fly Logi in fleets. Um, always big up the Logi bros. Uh, can we get them on kill mails, please? <laughs> Is there any, I don't think there is, to be honest, but is there any scope for the uh, deliver said item to the corp um, to be a way of sidestepping some of the issues with the, uh, you know, dif difficulties with LP transfer? And, and what I'm trying to say is, you know, can members kind of deliver an item or a ship to the corp uh, in exchange for ISK uh, with, and, transfer, and sort of cash in their LP that way? Is that, is that possible or is that a bit of a stretch? That's an interesting idea. I hadn't thought about that. Um, that would effectively just be an extra step in the replacement and sort of crowdsource the the production of Navy ships. I mean, as I understand it so far, I think you can only really deliver like a ship um, rather than, you know, a BPC or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And, and I think for individual members, that means that there's still huge amounts of logistics around, okay, I can give you a Navy ship by cashing in my LP, but you still have to give me the ship hull for me in order for, in order for me to then transfer that and, 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 you know, sort of create a Navy hull with it. And it, it all seems a little bit convoluted, sadly. Yeah, it's a workaround, but I think it, it's a bit of a rigmarole to get that going. Um, and I think you'd have reliability issues with a sort of crowdsourcing it. You might not get as many as you need. Um, and still have to rely on those old-fashioned logistics supply chains uh, that we used before the LP transfers. And I can see one specific issue of it. It's just tied very specifically to corporations, not to alliances. Mm. I'm very interested to how the mechanics of, of the automatic payouts are going to work. Obviously, my interest in this is finding a way to automate more payments for NOR and our mercenary operations, because, boy, I'll tell you... <laughs> it was a lot of clicks to try to get payouts done. Um, even now, when I've, I've kind of put a hard line in the sand and said, look, we're only going to pay out X number of people. Back in the day, I used to pay everybody out. So even if you killed like five ships out of a contract where we killed hundreds, I would find a way to pay you something. It was probably a million-esque or something, but I would find a way to get you that money. But it took forever. So... I eventually stopped doing that when I was looking at having to pay out 50 plus people. I, I drew a line in the sand. Okay. Only paying this many. And that line has slowly shrunk as my time has shrunk. Now we pay uh, our, our top number of killers and a number of positions that the Alliance votes for, but reflective of specific roles. One of them is logistics as an example. Uh, one of them is probing as an example. With the automated payments, I'd love the, to be able to automate that out. It being tied to corporation only is definitely a challenge unless we get an alliance option snuck in there that CCP hasn't talked about yet. But I'm also curious as to whether it will be everyone gets paid when the job is completed or if it's not fully completed, do people still get some partial money? How exactly is that going to work? Because for me, the big challenge would be taking the pile of money that we get from a client for a contract and figuring out, a figuring out how to divvy that up 
and make sure it gets distributed to the players that need it or have earned it in a way that doesn't get borked somehow. Yeah, and I mean, on the plus, on the benefits side, I think, you know, I'm I'm pleased and I, I sort of watched the video and sensed that, that you could specify a system, for example, you know, get kills in X system or get kills against X group or X player. Um, I liked that granularity around it. So, you know, for, for a large corporation, if you want to focus your operations in one area, it feels like you can. If you want to focus your awards on one specific group or one specific player, a bit like the bounty stuff, you can. But then you lose that granularity, like you said, Alec, with this other stuff. Um, some of it is n- not specific enough then. So um, hopefully people can come up with some creative solutions the CCP can employ after the patch drops and we don't end up with what, you know, the the pessimistic people think and, and that it's just going to stay as it is for like two years. I think CCP's done pretty well with the previous expansion showing that they're building on it. The fact that corporation projects are getting an update, the expansion after they got rolled out, is itself significant. So I'm willing to give CCP a bit of leeway here and assume that there could be another follow-up expansion, either this one or the one after that, where they take feedback on core projects and they see how many people are using them and that it's growing, which hopefully it will be. And they go, okay, this is a popular feature. It's getting adoption. Players are happy about it, but they're not happy about X, Y, and Z. Let's put some time into iterating on that. I might be too optimistic about it, but I think that's the approach they've taken for projects, faction warfare, a few other key releases that have come out over the last year or so. If if they follow the recent pattern as opposed to their historical pattern, I think it's a pretty fair chance that we'll get, maybe it is an alliance projects, but maybe it is some kind of quality of life pass on them if it's not working well or working as they'd hoped. Faruzan, do you see any possible applications here from the bounty hunting perspective, considering that now you can assign that corporation isk to killing specific players and getting the final blow on it, do you think that's sufficient to make bounty hunting as a corporation more viable? As a corporation? I guess, yeah. Or do you still think it'll be an individual pursuit and they won't really group up together outside of more of an MPSIE type thing? From my experience so far, people willing or and, and able to do bounty hunting are far in between. And as I mentioned, all of my hunters are, are all in established corporations with with just roots already in, in ground. So starting a new corporation focused on bounty hunting using these systems may be doable, but uh, I think the kind of open MPSI-like system is going to trump that, I think. We shall certainly see. Uh, I wanted to touch on two stories that we're going to talk about in the next episode. We just didn't have time to include them here. But the Frigate Yearbook got a 2023 update. This is an absolutely indispensable resource for newer players, players that like frigate fighting. And it's been a while, I think at least two years since it's been touched. And there have been a lot of changes to the game that affect frigate combat, particularly frigate on frigate combat or frigate on destroyer combat in the faction warfare context. Uh, So we're going to review the yearbook, talk about it, 
Uh, Zero, do you have some highlights for what that discussion is going to look like? Yeah, I think, you know, this time, what I really love about it is that it really gives a nod to the previous yearbooks. Uh, They're quite a few years old now, but it does sort of, you know, compare itself to those itself. And that gives, you know, a chance to really reflect on the changes that have been made over the last few years. It introduces some new terminology, got now a differentiation between Faction Warfare Complex uh, Frigate PvP versus outside of Faction Warfare Complex Frigate PvP. And we've got some new um, sort of, you know, meta really. Uh, We've got anti-kiting. Uh, as a as a definition brawling scram kiting we're all familiar with kiting we're all familiar with but then web kiting as well so it really does try to sort of you know get more granular apart from that which you know is is it good enough in itself it just looks like the engagement map just a quick you know cursory glance over it yet again we're seeing the same sort of suspects coming out as you know the more the most likely frigates to win a fight frigate versus frigate are coming out at uh as you, as you might predict the worm the succubus and the dramiel and then we've got you know closely followed by the daredevil gamma things like that even the astero comes in with its sort of i think it's armor tank bonuses right and really comes in with um a strong showing as well so uh, i i'm looking forward to looking at this thing in much more detail and uh, I think it's perhaps less user-friendly for brand new players than previous iterations. I've I've looked at previous iterations. The style and format does vary between, uh, you know, the different years that have been produced. And we've had tier lists in the past. It seems that now we've maybe dispensed with the tier lists and gone more with, um, you know, like rebalance histories and, you know, things, you know, more of a rock, paper, scissors kind of calculations going on. Um, But just a fascinating document and, uh, you know, all credit to the people or person. It's T-Sky is the author, but, uh, you know, I imagine there's more people involved in creating this as well and all credit to them for creating what is a, a fantastic resource for anyone really who's interested in this kind of thing. We also have significant developments in NullSec. We haven't really had an update in this story in quite a long time, but all of a sudden things have happened. B2, which is the brave Volta coalition that has been defending Pureblind, is expected to collapse, if not officially announced they're collapsed. Uh, Details of their state of the coalition are a little bit hard to get reliably. Um, There's there's quite a bit of spin, (laughs) so... Uh, we're sorting all of that out. I may try to al- arrange a guest to come on and shed some light on it. But we will see what, what happens here. I think the the widely acknowledged situation is they are done as a coalition and may likely be eva- evacuating that region, potentially evacuating that side of the map. We don't know what will come of all the individual groups in there. Again, reliable information has been a little hard to come by at the time this podcast has been recorded, but it's a it's a metric shift in NullSec. They have been successfully defending PureBlind against Fraternity and Pandemic Horde for, I think, over a year now, um, and we stopped talking about it largely because the attackers weren't making any forward progress and the defenders weren't counterattacking in any meaningful way. So it was a lot of timers that people wouldn't turn up for and maybe the occasional scrap, but it wasn't huge by NullSec standards. Certainly nothing we expected to to uh, change the math on either side. But uh, some groups began evacuating 
and that kind of seems like set off maybe a bit of a bank run style panic within the coalition. And that's about all we know for sure at this point. We're going to bring more to you on the next show. This is a huge development in LSEC politics. Yeah, I think I just finished by sort of saying what I do know at this stage, which is that, you know, as far as we know, Brave as um, as an alliance itself is joining the Imperium and heading south. Uh, you know, one of the factors around this is cap escalation. So, you know, for the last 18 months or longer, we've had kind of a to-in and fro-in sub-cap battles with attempts from, uh, you know, fleets that are largely consisted of, of pandemic horde players, but probably more led by pandemic Legion FC uh, that, you know, have been sort of toying with, with um, B2, trying to get them to... Um, you know, escalate to cap warfare. Uh, eventually, that did occur, and we had a huge cap brawl with massive losses. Um, probably more losses than Brave and B two could afford to replace on a consistent basis. To be fair, to be you know, that's got to be said. And um, you know, a, a sort of an, an unwillingness, perhaps, from Imperium to move their cap fleet so far north to engage Pandemic Horde and Pandemic Legion, and you know, maybe Fraternity, depending on the time zone. Uh, you know, cap versus cap, really. So uh, as a result, you know, give they just giving up the space, it seems, and. Um, you know, I don't know what will happen to Volta. I don't know what will happen to Blob. I don't know what will happen to Fire. You know, maybe some of those smaller groups will see themselves, uh, you know, heading to the southeast or, I don't know, doing something else. But uh, Brave itself seems uh, at least to be heading towards Imperium and Imperium membership. Well, that's, <laughs> that's some interesting angles to talk about that. Right, well, let's get into host highlights again. We'll, we'll bring more detail and more depth to that story on the next episode as we dissect the collapse of the B2 coalition. I've got to talk about a fight in Hula. This was Deepwater Hooligans versus everyone. <laughs> That's certainly how it felt. Um, Deepwater had tried to anchor a Fortizar and a Soichio in Losec. This is in the Hula system. I think the 40 was not actually in Hula. But it was on a later timer that didn't get contested, so it's not important. <laughs> What's important is the Hawala fight. Uh, holy shit. Uh, so Big w- Deepwater brought out their big guns. They brought out a massive super and carrier fleet. They brought out a pair of Bane Dreadnoughts, which are the new Lancer Dreads. And we actually saw the Lancers used in combat. It's the first time I've actually seen that happening. And it was a, a massive, massive brawl. Uh, you had Init there. You had TD Sin there. Basically, anyone who's everyone in low sec or has low sec connections was there. And um, it was a it was a pretty big route. The Soichio died. I don't think a kill mail for it has actually been generated. Which, come on, CCP. But the one of the Banes definitely died. Snuffed was there. Actually, no, that was... I'm thinking of a different Bane. Sorry, there have been a lot of fights lately. Uh, we had a cap fight in Hadley's. That's the one I'm thinking of. Nice. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to pull up... Oh, where in the heck? All right, so I guess the, the caps that we killed in Hole got pushed out by the more expensive caps from Hadley's on our killboard, so I'm going to have to dig a little bit to find the actual totals. 
Uh, it's a bit of a mess of a battle report, which is why I don't have the numbers immediately handy. There are so many sides to this fight, but it seemed like it was pretty much, if you sort of erase out all the weird lines that are outside the box, everybody versus Big AB. Deepwater is a reliable bat phone for a lot of people, which also means they've got a lot of scores that they've created that needed to get settled. And this fight, for whatever reason, seemed like the coalescence of all of those into one big brawl. There were caps dropped. There were faction battleships involved. We were joining Sedition and Dock Workers in a Kikimura fleet. I The fleet that I was with trying to get there was camped in a wormhole. So we couldn't actually get through on time. We were late. So I ran, I managed to get a shuttle through and just grabbed whatever I could to still make it because I didn't know it was going to turn into the multi-hour fight that it turned into. I was there in a (laughs) tornado. (laughs) Not the greatest pick when you've got fighters flying around. I did, in fact, get targeted a handful of times. I managed to live through the entire thing, though. I got out in deep structure at one point and deep shield and a few other points. The logistics in our fleet were doing absolutely incredible work and it was just big enough and chaotic enough that I wasn't alpha immediately and I had time to align out. All right. So this is the, like I said, this battle report's going to be pretty effed, um, but I'll give you the totals. We had, oh my God, 90, Five billion killed. And I don't think that counts the Soitio, which will push it over to 100 billion. That's, yeah. I mean, you had the faction warfare groups in there. Like I said, you had uh, Brave, you had Init, you had uh, Wrecking Crew or Alliances from Wrecking Crew. Wrecking Crew. Turbo Feed was in there. Rogue Capel. Some of the Winter Co alliances like Sons of Bane were there. Uh, Singularity Syndicate, like I said earlier. Um, the Mimitar guys turned up, as well as the Glenty guys. We crossed the war zone. You had Boss there with the Sacrilege Fleet, and I know they put in a hell of a lot of work. Um, Frat turned up with some Munins. Eventually, they missed most of the party, but turned up toward the end there. Uh, Try turned up. You had Sinocero Field Theory there, Shadow Cartel, Tactical Farmers, Volta. It's really a who's who of Eve <laughs> EVP. And again, I it just seemed rather organic. Like, I don't know why this was the moment everyone picked to do this, but I guess the anchoring of a soy was just too good for people to pass up. And uh, it, it, it anchored, it was onlining. But yeah, it's... The tether saved quite a few ships, but it wasn't enough, ultimately. It's amazing how these battles that make kind of no sense economically, uh, you know, they just happen anyway, right? Yeah, and it was it was awesome. I I knew it would be a fight because anytime you're putting a big structure like that and you're going to defend it, I had no idea it would turn into as wild and server sprawling a fight as it actually was. And despite all that, it was tie dyed, but it wasn't even tie dyed 100. percent This is a pretty playable fight. And I don't think anyone crashed that I heard of. You know, sometimes a little bit of tie-dye just takes the edge off, right? It's just nice to, uh, you know, at least be able to uh, take in what's going on. 
Yeah, absolutely. But it was a ton of fun. I can't believe I lived through it. We killed a whole bunch of stuff. The wormhole guys that we were flying with had a great time. And cheers to Young Puke for the invite, letting us know what was going on. And 10 out of 10 would kill again. Zero? Yeah, so I'll just uh, try and account for like a 45-minute engagement uh, in as brief a way as I can. Um, I went out on a roam with... um, some people that I fly with regularly. So we have uh, Clarity from FC uh, team in EVE University, as well as Gideon Mastracci of the same fame, uh, but also flies with uh, another group, a large group I won't name. And um, Bazinga Mogus, who, who kind of like refuses to join the FC team, but still flies with us regularly. We, you know, we've got this bit of theory crafting going on, trying to do uh, some sort of Tuskers-esque ESS shenanigans uh, by yeeting around in Nullsec. And we ended up landing in the system where we had uh, a 263 million isk bank very nearby. So we take our four ships and we burn over. Uh, we're in two recons and we're in an Oracle and uh, a Cyclone Fleet issue. So, you know, on D scan, pretty engageable, right? So we, we slide into the ESS in this system. There's a few people in Detroit, this was in the Southeast. There's a few people from Hard Commit in the, in the local system. You know, they, they're sort of chatting to me in local because they, they know Luca, Lucas Ermanelios, uh, who's, uh, you know, the CEO of the corp I'm in. Luca was talking about Hard Commit recently. Luca was down there in, in, um, fighting people around that area. So they, they, they chatting to me about that and we're robbing their bank of 263 million. And, uh, you know, we're kind of waiting around, waiting around. And eventually we see that they're forming a golem and a varga. And, uh, you know, they're going to try and push us out. Now the, the, the clock is ticking. We're about to steal the money as the, uh, the bank is about to pay out. They slide in the, the varga and the golem and we start the engagement. So um, I, I, my role here is to damp out the, gar, uh, the golem and the varga. And once, you know, we've burned away, uh, they can't lock anything, right? So we, we managed to pin down this golem and varga with webs and damps. Um, so they can't lock us. We're, we're just hitting them. They can't hit us. They're stuck in the ESS bubble. Well, this goes on for about 30 minutes, right? We're shooting this golem. Um, we're sticking on the one target, going, looking up his fit on, on, on Z kill, trying to work out how, how much, how much longer he can tank, um, on all these different things. And eventually, uh, you know, the, the local starts to spike a little bit and uh, you can see they're trying to form up some sort of response because we're webbing and damping these, these marauders in the ESS and there's nothing they can do about it, but we can't quite kill this golem. And by our calculations, we're like, after 25 minutes, we're expecting, you know, He's going to run out of cap boosters. There's no way he can carry on like this. Anyway, to cut a very long and drawn out story short, uh, the um, the locals then, uh, one of them I recognize the name of, Minty Roadkill, uh, decide to bring some battle cruisers in to try and save these marauders. And um, they slide in. Uh, we, we decide that, you know, we're not going to break the tank of the Varga and the Golem because... We'd just before they slide these back cruisers in, realized that the reason they fit nosses to their marauders is so they can draw cap from each other. And what had been happening this entire time was that one of the marauders, the golem, had been sucking cap from its uh, partner, Varga. And of course, we were only focusing on the one target. Um, so, so realistically, they could have just, you know, tanked us uh, infinitum so then we um we focus on the the ferox navy issue and the two drex that they bring in the spider tank drex and we, we kill those with our four ships and then we we 
consider ourselves quite satisfied because we managed to rob the bank as well. And uh, we said thank you very much and we went on our separate ways. But um, ah. <laughs> very, uh, we were chatting for a while on comms going, oh, what's going on? <laughs> so, yeah, thanks to um, Minty Roadkill, who, who happens to be the person who wrote that um, really long explanation as to why Hard Commit were leaving the South East on Reddit that we discussed at length in a previous podcast. And interestingly, I found that, of course, they're still there. So, you know, although they announced on Reddit their kind of departure from the Southeast, and I, I believe they, they actually finished the, the the post with, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish, and then mm-hmm. a nice little troll link at the end, they, they're still there. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure what happened in the end. But, uh, yeah, thank you very much for the for the fun. It did seem a bit premature, that that withdrawal so i wouldn't mm. be surprised if they kind of announced it and then realized all their stuff was still there and wasn't getting killed super fast so maybe they just are kind of hanging around yeah I'm not i don't sure. know either that or, or they're just sort of taking the opportunity to fight but have made plans to move elsewhere well they were ratting sufficiently to be able to you know generate a 260 millisk uh you know ess bank so they can't be doing that bad Farouzan, what is your host highlight? So my highlight would definitely be just getting to interact with, with the many talented and often, often well-known PvPers who uh, came to my Discord to Bounty Hunt. And it's a good refresher on all the PvP strategies for me when I read the chats. Because uh, I, I haven't been playing actively for around two years before I started this. So so a good refresher. And then uh, an in-game highlight would be me trying to have uh, a shot on the bounty hunting as well. So I went to a system where the target corporation was uh, uh, low sec. No, there, there was uh, they are part of the alliance, but the alliance is not the target. Just this one corporation. So I, I engaged a six man gang in my Cinnabal. I managed to kill three of them, two bomb- two bombers, one frigate. Then then the rest of the three, uh, they were too large ship to 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 kill in one Cinnabal. Uh, I docked and I found out that none of the kill mails, of course, was the corporation I, I was supposed to hunt. It was just some other members of the alliance. So, uh, yeah, I'm not climbing the top bounty hunters list, unfortunately. I imagine the thrill was was just as good, though, until you realized that. Yeah, of course. I mean, the PvP <laughs> is always great. <laughs> I just see the enthusiasm slowly sapping from your face as you realize. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. <laughs> The Boost Moose, take us out. What is your host highlight? Yeah, so mine's a, a little bit less action-oriented, but my small corporation has finally grown large enough for us to field a proper doctrine with logistics and e-war and everything. Uh, so we took that out um, a couple of days ago and was successful. We weren't really under much threat, but coordination was good. It all worked out. We didn't lose anything. Um, and it was just really fun and really good to see all of my guys band together like that. Fabulous. Do you want to share what the doctrine is? And you know, to tell us all your secrets, but what did you wind up um, selecting? Drake navies. Uh, we've got basically two different fits for them: the standard one, and then one which is a little bit spicy. Um, I won't go into details, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Drake navies with some logi and some e-war support. Fantastic. I want to thank our golden elite supporters. Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Tane Tengu, and Tweak. Thank you for sticking with us, guys. If you want to support the show, it's patreon.com slash D-O-W. 
I also want to give a shout out to Alexander Blessed. He was the main FC for the fleet that I was in during the Huola fight. Very, very well FC'd fight. Um, he was very calm, great shot calling and target calling, great driving the fleet around, managed a lot of stuff. Um, like his multitasking was on another level. So I don't recall if I'd been in a fleet of his FC'd before, but I would happily join them again. Cheers and thanks to you, Alex. So I know, Alec, that uh, you just cut out a sec there to to, to miss out Fade Atreides. I know I, you caught the very end uh, on the Golden Elite supporters, so I just mentioned that. But um, moving on from that then, uh, I'm very grateful that um, my time in uh, Brave, when I was sort of messing about there and trying to get to grips with what was happening in, in the North a year ago, uh, well, I've got a little souvenir from that time now because... Um, you know, most of the engagements, if, if anyone has spent any time in, in Brave or in B2 uh, trying to fight against uh, PH and PL, would know that uh, a lot of the fleets are, are run by Headliner, one of the, probably the, one of the better and probably one of the best FCs in the game, to be fair to him. Um, you know, consistently takes out fleets. He's got over 60,000 kills on Z kill, uh, and, but hardly any losses really in comparison. Uh, I think, in fact, you know, looking at it, apart from some kill ball, killboard padding we're talking about you know kind of like 150 kind of losses since those records began um so uh when, when the opportunity came up for me to purchase one of headliners corpses i uh, i kind of couldn't really resist so uh earlier on today and yesterday i was chatting to somebody who who happened to mention that they'd managed to scoop one of headliners corpses from this time in in pure blind uh i was like hey um i'll buy that so, uh, yeah, uh, thanks to Ollie, uh, um, Ollie, and I'm not sure how to pronounce the second name, but it's Wack, Wacko is the best I can do. Um, Ollie has, has, um, successfully transported Headliner's frozen corpse to Jita, and, uh, we exchanged, uh, terms and a contract was made, and I accepted said contract earlier on today, and now in my hangar in Jita, I have one of Headliner's corpses, which, um, I believe, you know, looking at the data, there's probably, since records began, at least, only about a hundred and something of these that have ever been generated in the game because, um, you know, capsules lost is a good measure of that. So, uh, you know, something that's relatively rare in my eyes. Um, for some reason, the headliner keeps, you know, whelping uh, thrashers at the moment. So perhaps it'll become incredibly less rare as time goes on. But, uh, yeah, um, headliner, stop losing capsules, please. You know, you're making my, my uh, little cherished corpse less and less valuable as, as, as every day passes. But, uh, yeah, thanks Ollie. Um, I got a little memento now from my time in brave. Brilliant. Verizon, what's your shout out? Uh, I need to give a shout out to Dios for his Oz tank. It's a great content, uh, really interesting ideas flying around, uh, refreshes the game a little bit. And then Croda for actually believing in me and giving me the 10 billion-esque funding to kickstart the bounty hunting. Uh, it would be hard without it. I would probably do it even without the funding, but that would take like all my in-game assets. And it's better if I can fly ships instead of <laughs> fund bounties. Poose Moose. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to shout out for reason for starting all of the bounties and handling manually all of the bounty payments and organization. He's doing a great job. I appreciate it. It's probably a lot of work. Um, and then I'd also just like to shout out all of the members of my corporation, Starline, and also the members of the corporation, Mercury Arms, for letting us join them on fleets. A bunch of great people. And plus one to you, Verizon. Thank you for 
taking the initiative and putting that project out there and doing all the work to keep it running. It's very awesome of you. Thank you both for turning up to the show. This was an awesome episode. And that is it, guys. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in the show poll and leave a comment on the show. Reminder that Noir Recruitment is back on both for Noir and for Noir Academy. We've had a number of returning players to the U.S. time zone. So both of our time zones are honestly humming right now. They're feeling pretty good. So whether you want to come chat to us about NA or Noir or you're not sure, just come hang out with us. Join the in-game channel Cafe Noir Dot. That's Cafe Space Noir with a period at the end of it. You'll find a link to our Discord there and answers to all of your questions. Wherever you are and whoever you're flying with, good hunting, listeners.